So every time I begin a new sermon series, I always wonder, what will the response be? How will people interact with this topic? And even though I'm praying about each message series, I have a board in my office uh, with the whole se- whole year of topics for each month and what's going to be coming. Uh, and I'm praying about it. And I believe the Holy Spirit has given me direction. And that is that this is what he wants me to talk about. There's still that part of me uh, that says, will this hit the target? Will this connect? Will people respond to this? Uh, and I loved getting feedback this week on the series of miracles that we kicked off last Sunday. Not because people said they liked it, although they did. Uh, not because people want to talk about miracles, although people are telling me they do. What I loved the most about the people who reached out to me was that several people said they were ready to experience the miraculous in their lives. And they were willing to do whatever it took to get to that place of seeing God work the miraculous in and through them and in their families. And guys, that's what it's about, Trilogy. That's what this is all about. It's not just about being having a time to learn about something new or to talk about miracles. This is about an experience. This is about getting ourselves to the place where we are experiencing the miraculous from the hand of God. That's my heart, and I hope that's your heart too, that that's what we're ready to receive. So I'm excited this week as we continue our journey through the Bible uh, in the book of Joshua this week. And you can join me in Joshua chapter 6. That's where we're going to be reading today. But I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 5 and kind of set the table in Joshua chapter 5. Uh, for what we're going to be talking about in six. So we're going to start there. This is before the battle of Jericho. And Joshua has an angelic encounter. And this particular angel that he meets with is called the commander of the Lord's army. That's the title that this angel gives Joshua. Uh, He tells him, uh, he identifies himself in that way. So we are talking about a serious angel here. Not that there are many angels that are not serious. There's not, you know, the commonplace angel. But this angel, this angel packs a punch. If If an angel identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's armies, you you know you are talking to a being of significance here. I mean, angels are all intimidating on some level, but this one goes to the next level. When In scripture, when angels show up, people tend to fall down and are fearful when angels arrive on the scene. So there's always this response uh, of just this incredible awe when an angel shows up. But when it's the commander of the Lord's army, something intense is about to happen. Something is about to go down that is of some incredible significance. So Joshua falls before this angel, falls down to the ground, and the commander of the Lord's army says to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, can I ask you a question? I mean, does that ring a biblical bell for any of you? Does anybody have bells going off in their head saying, oh, wait a minute, anybody having a flashback to a guy named Moses? Uh, Moses, who out in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, God shows up in a burning bush and tells Moses to take off his sandals because the place where he is standing is holy ground. The exact same words that he says now to Joshua was said to Moses. Now, think back. Who was Moses' assistant? Who was his second in command? Well, none other than Joshua 
who's the hero of our story that we're talking about today, the guy that we're looking about in Joshua chapter 6. And he had probably heard that story from Moses a thousand times. I mean, if you had an encounter with God at a burning bush, you would probably tell that story a few times. So he's heard that story from Moses. He's talked about it. He's heard about it. He's dialogued about it. He could have told the story for Moses. If Moses had said, hey, Joshua, why don't you tell it this time? Joshua would have had no problem relating this story. And now he hears those same words spoken to him from the commander of the Lord's army. He's now telling Joshua the same thing. And this is what I want you to get from that church. You can't live off of someone else's story. Joshua had heard the story, thought it was a great story. It probably inspired him in some way, but you can't live off of someone else's story, off of someone else's experience. I don't care if they tell it a thousand times. I don't care if you could tell it as well as they can. You need your own story. You need your own encounter with God. You need your own experience with him. You can't live off of your parents' story. You can't live off of your spouse's story, off of your best friend's story and their experience with God and what he's done in your life. There has to be something fresh and new and personal to you that God is doing in your life. You need a story that comes directly from him and you need God to be working something in your life. And that's why we're reading through the Bible as a church. As we go through the chronological one-year Bible as a church uh, this year, that's why we're doing this. Every day, each one of us personally receiving something from the Holy Spirit as we read through the Bible. Each one of us allowing God to speak to us personally. You can't live off my story, church. You can't live off of someone else's story or as I mentioned, off of your spouse's story. There's too much of that that happens in the lives of people who are following Jesus is they're trying to live their faith vicariously through someone else and it doesn't work. That is a secondhand experience and it won't transform you. And if we aren't careful, the church can be full of people who have a secondhand experience with God and they never get to know him personally. And that's just not good enough. God's dream for you is bigger than that. My hopes and my prayers for you is bigger than that. And so we all need to seek out to have an experience of our own with God. So the angel says, take off your sandals. And I bet Joshua's heart is beating a thousand beats a minute here. I mean, he's got this holy adrenaline thing going. His mind is racing, his spirit, his spirit has got to be kind of like before the big game, you know, and you've got so much adrenaline pumping through your body. Coach is just giving the pregame speech. You're jumping up in the huddle with your teammates and, and you have this like incredible adrenaline surge and you're shaking, you're anticipating so much. It's almost like God saying to Joshua, take off your sandals, stop for a moment and understand that this is holy ground. It belongs to me and I'm giving it to you. This battle is not yours. This battle is mine and I am going to win it. And so that's the stage that is set as we go in to Joshua chapter 6. And this morning, I'm not really concerned about the miracles. As I've told you, this series is not about the miracles per se. I said this last week because we can't manufacture miracles. We can't do miracles. We can't demand miracles. We can pray about things and ask God to, to do what he will do. 
But miracles are his department, not ours. What I am concerned with is this, and this is my goal. Are we consistently putting ourselves into a position where we can allow God to move miraculously in our lives? That's what I want from us. Are we consistently putting ourselves in a position where we can allow God to move miraculously in our lives? And one of the things I said last weekend, the way we do that is that sometimes if we're a part of, if we're allowing ourselves to be part of seeing that miracle come true in someone else's life, it unleashes and it releases what God wants to do in our lives. And what I'm suggesting here is that sometimes the way that we prepare ourselves for these miracles, the miracle of Jericho that's about to happen, you better take off your sandals first and you better humble yourself before the Lord. And as you begin to worship him and be filled with his awe, the Hebrew word there is fear. So we translate it as awe, but it's something unlike any kind of awe that you've ever experienced before. And I don't know all that's going on here, but Joshua has a revelation into the holiness of God and the power of God and the greatness of God. It is overwhelming him. And he has a moment here and he needed this moment. He had to experience this because he's about to engage with the enemy and it prepares him for the miracle that is about to happen. And church, we need to have those same kind of holy divine encounters where we pray and we worship and we fall on our face before God and we position ourselves in such a way where we get out of the way and we humble ourselves and we allow God to do the work. So now Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. So the Israelites' uh, reputation had preceded them. So the people of Jericho knew who they were. They knew what God was doing through them. They knew that other cities had experienced some bad ends because they got in their way. And so they're looking at this and they were afraid of them. And so they shut the gates solid. They didn't let anybody out. They didn't let anybody in. And they were just hunkering down and waiting for them to go away. So the first thing we see in this passage is this. Israel had a problem. And they've got a big problem. Because this city, the gates are shut. And anytime a miracle is needed, you've got to understand this, there is a problem it is designed to solve. Israel had a problem. And so you want to put yourself in a position to allow God to move miraculously, right? That's what we want to do. We want to put ourselves in a position to allow God to move in our lives miraculously. If you want to be in that position, have problems. Now you may be saying, awesome, that's great. I've got lots of problems. We all do. That's our lives. Our lives are filled with problems that God has the power to overcome. But we need to recognize that we have problems and God is in a position to deal with those problems. So what is the problem here for Israel? Jericho is known as the oldest city in the world. And in Joshua's day, it was surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls that encircled this city, an outer wall and an inner wall. Now, the outer wall was six foot thick and about 20 feet high. Six feet thick and 20 feet high. Now, that's huge, but the inner wall was even bigger. The inner wall was 12 feet thick, so twice 
as thick and 30 feet high, so another 50% higher than the outer wall was. See, these walls are massive. And between the walls was a guarded walkway about 15 feet wide in between these walls. So Israel's problem was that they had a city to conquer, but there were some extremely huge walls in the way of them and their promised miracle. And as we go through life, we've got obstacles all over the place for us. And maybe our obstacles are a lost family member that we need God to change the direction of their life. It could be a ministry that God has called us to do that we feel inadequate about and our insecurities are preventing us from living into that calling. It could be family trouble that tears at our hearts and leaves us wondering what to do and how to bring healing. It could be financial trouble that stresses us to the limits of our patience and our faith, a health issue that has medical professionals just throwing up their hands not knowing what to do. It could be any one of a million things that are obstacles that are standing in the way of where we believe God wants us to go. And we have to learn not to look at our obstacles as dead ends, but as opportunities for the Lord to work in our lives. And guys, too many of us, we see obstacles and we just stop. And we think, well, obviously that's not the path I'm supposed to go down then. And we turn around and we go a different direction. But God had us moving in that path. God had us going through that obstacle. And we need to realize that these obstacles are not dead ends. These are huge opportunities for God to demonstrate his power, for him to receive the glory. We don't serve a God who throws his hands up in the air and says, oh, well. We serve a God who is a way maker. We serve a God who can destroy the obstacles in our path, who can lead us through those obstacles. We serve a God who is able. And God's power is best revealed in and through us when we are unable to handle life. That's, those are the times when God can rise to the, come to the forefront. God is more clearly visible when we are totally out of the picture. I mean, that's why Paul said that in, in my weakness, it, when I am weak, then I am strong. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we've got to realize that those moments where we can't handle things are an incredible opportunity for God to do what only he can do. I mean, does anybody else ever feel that powerless? Maybe daily? I, I know most of us do. In a sense, that's what he did with Israel here. He completely removed them from the equation so that his power could be revealed. This wasn't a victory that was going to be won with spears and swords and chariots. This wasn't a victory that was going to be won by the strength of their armed forces. This was a victory that was only going to be won by the hand of God. And God demonstrated that. The victory at Jericho, at Jericho was all him. So then verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Now, I want you to stop here because this verse is incredible. I want you to notice something really unique. Do you notice something unique about the way that God spoke to Joshua? I want you to notice the tense in this, in this verse right here. It's not, I will give you Jericho. What does God say? He says, I have given you Jericho. 
It is a past tense statement. It's not a future tense statement. Something special is going on here. And I believe that if we can get a handle on this, if we can internalize this, we prepare ourselves to experience incredible breakthrough in our lives, in our families, in our church. What we see here is that even though we just learned that Israel has a problem, now we explore that Israel has a promise. Whenever you face a problem, we need to look for the promise. Because there is a promise from God's word that's going to apply. There's a promise from God's word that's going to see you through. And you have to know what that promise is. As Joshua and all of the army stood looking at the massive walls around Jericho, it's easy to be blinded by the obstacle. But God speaks to them and encourages them. He gives them a promise that defies logic and reason. I've given you this city. I have given. It's already yours. God promises Israel the victory before they ever attack Jericho. He lets them know about the conclusion before they ever enter into their battle. And that's why I love God's word, church. That's why I love the power of scripture because it is a miraculous book. It tells us the conclusion while we're still in the middle of the battle. And we know this, because of Jesus, no matter what happens in this life, we win. If you read the book of Revelation, if you read the other passages of scripture that talk about the end times, that talk about what's going to happen at the end of days, it tells us clearly that difficult times will come, that we're going to go through trials, we're going to go through tribulation. But at the end of all things, Jesus wins. And because of him, so do we. We get to experience victory through Jesus. And so no matter what you're facing, no matter what obstacle may be in front of you, we already know how the end works out. And that is incredibly uplifting. It's incredibly empowering. It's incredibly faith building when we know that we will stand with Jesus victorious in the end. And as we face our obstacles, no matter what they are, we can do it with confidence because we have these promises from God that we can stand on. Remember I talked about standing on the word and, and when, we're, when we have footing that is, is slippery and we don't know where we can stand, we can place our feet firmly on the promises of God's word. These are some of the promises that we see in scripture. And I'm going to post these later on this week on Facebook so you could see these with some scripture references so you'll have these. But I'm a, I want to read these to you quickly. We have his promise of power when we fight our battles. And it's not our strength that matters. It's his strength that matters when we go into the battle. And I, for one, am pretty glad about that. Because there are plenty of times where I am weak. I don't have what it takes. I'm not going to make it. I know that if I were relying on my strength, I would be in trouble. But in his strength, we can do all things. We have his promise of overwhelming victory. The victory is ours. We just talked about that. And we have that promise. We have his promise that we will never fight alone. No matter what you're facing, you are not alone. Even if everyone else in your life abandons you, God will not. Romans 8 tells us neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You will never fight alone. And finally, the fourth promise, we have his promise that when the battles are finally over once and for all, we will celebrate the victory in his presence. We get to stand in heaven one day and proclaim the victory. 
We get to celebrate the victory, not just for a day, not just for a week, but for eternity, we get to celebrate the victory with him. And as we face the walled cities in our lives and we all have Jerichos that we come up against, we need to believe God to take him at his word and trust him for our victories. Because here's what you need to know. Jesus did not save you for you to be defeated. Too many Christians live life in, with this defeated mindset. Oh, that problem is too great. Or that didn't work out. Or I'm just going to, I'm not going to be able to ever get there. And I want you to understand Jesus didn't save you for you to be defeated. He saved you for you to be victorious. Galatians 5 tells us it is for freedom that you have been set free. And some of us, the victory that we need is over an area of sin in our lives. And I want you to know Galatians 5 tells us that Jesus has set you free to live in freedom, not to be still in bondage to sin. And that's a victory that God has already won for you. Jesus has saved you for the victory. He will be there all the way to help you secure it for his glory. Now, will there be trials? Yes, we're promised those too. That's one of the promises we wish weren't in there, but it's there. But there will also be victory. And here's the thing, church. We are in a battle right now as a church. Trilogy is in a battle as we fight through this season where we have no place to meet. That's a battle. It's a constant battle. There's this fatigue of homelessness that we're going through as a church. I was praying about it the other night. And as I did, I felt like right in the middle of that prayer, I felt like the Spirit of God said to me, Jeff, I want you to stop praying for it and start praising me for it. Stop praying for it and start praising me for it. Now, that may seem like a weird difference, but listen to this. Praying for it is future tense. Will you give us? Will you provide? But praising him for it. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you have done it. The battle is won. You said in your word that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe you already have the place for us. Thank you for providing everything we need as a body of believers. As we praise him for it, and I just did that. I just started praising the Lord. I started thanking him for the building that he's already given us, for the land that he's providing for us, for that permanent home that he's leading us to. And this is not some kind of weird name it, claim it kind of deal. This is not about forcing God's hand that now he has to do what we want him to do. This is about, by faith, praising him for something that you believe he is going to do based on the promises of his word. Thanking him for victory that the Bible tells us is ours. It becomes past tense now. And something changes in your spirit. Something flips there. Are you with me? It's different and so I began to do that. And this is what I believe. I believe miracles happen in the context of praise. Miracles happen in the context of praise. And I think sometimes, now please get this, we treat the miracle as the cause and then we praise him on the other side of the miracle. But in some ways, the miracle is not the cause, it's the effect. The cause is praise, the cause is worship, the cause is faith, the cause is humility on the part of believers and the church and humbling ourselves before him. That's the cause and the miracle is the effect. 
As you begin to worship the Lord, as you begin to praise him for who he is and what he has done, then God begins to move on your behalf. And we see the miracles begin to take place. You can see it in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 is an amazing story as Paul and Silas are in jail. They're in a horrible situation, horrible circumstances. They're, they're chained up. And what are they doing? They're not praying for God to bring deliverance. They're not praying for God to set them free. They are praising God in the middle of this jail cell. And the jail keepers are standing around looking at them like they've lost their minds, but they're singing hymns to God. They're declaring the praises of God. And in the middle of their worship service in this jail cell, what happens? An angelic jailbreak takes place and the chains fall off their wrists and everything just breaks loose around them and they are able to walk out of that jail as free men. God brought the miracle on the other side of praise. They didn't even need to ask God for a miracle. They just started praising him and praising him and the next thing you know, God delivers a miracle and sets them free. Church, we need to be praising God and worshiping God and the miracles will flow out of the other side of that. By praising and worshiping God, we are putting ourselves in a position to receive the miraculous in our lives. Joshua 6, 3 through 5. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now this is a powerful, powerful thought. Pay attention to this. Israel had a problem. They also had a promise. Now get this. Israel had a partner. They had someone who was fighting with them. They had someone who was planning this whole thing. They were just along for the ride. And Israel's partner was the same as ours. It's God himself. He was in absolute control of the battle. He was leading them and he was the guarantee of their victory. They didn't bring it about. It wasn't on them. It was on God's shoulders and he can handle it. And when you face walled cities and obstacles, you need to know that you do not have to face them alone. You do not have to face them in your own strength. No obstacle is impossible as long as we face it in God's strength and with his guidance. The Bible tells us that with God, all things are possible. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. We don't have to shut down, give up, walk away. The Bible tells us that no obstacle is impossible, impassable, insurmountable. As long as we face it in God's strength, we can see it through to the other side. And with his guidance, trust in him, trust the path he's leading you down and he will see you through. Joshua 6, 6 and 7. So Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it. So the ark is symbolic of the presence of God. The, the tablets, the original stone tablets from the Ten Commandments are in there, and some other stuff is in there as well. And God's presence literally rests on this golden ark of the covenant. So much so that if anyone touched the ark, they would fall down dead instantly because they were in the presence of a holy God. And so this ark, the presence of God, is walking before them. 
There's a huge principle there that the presence of God needs to go with you if you're going to see the miraculous in your life. Each carrying a ram's horn, the verse continues. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. So this is the battle strategy. And, and here's the thing. We've heard this story so many times and you've probably even sung the song. If you know the song, okay, here you go. Sing it with me if you know the song. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Now, some of you are having a kid's church flashback right now. Others of you are thinking Pastor Jeff has just lost his mind. And maybe both of those are true. But listen, we've read the story or we've heard the story or we've sung the song so many times and we sometimes forget that's not how you do battle. Okay, that is not. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. He marched around the walls and he shouted. I mean, are you serious? Walking around the city and playing the trumpet? I wonder if they might have actually felt a little foolish here. I mean, there, there's a number of the Israelites walking around this city and the people of Jericho are just standing on the walls, scratching their heads going, what is wrong with them? I mean, they're warriors and all they're doing is walking around the city. And I wonder if they even felt a little self-conscious. Part of me wonders if even some of the people of the city of Jericho were mocking them a little bit as they walked. And if you believe the VeggieTales video about this story, they were mocking them. But something is happening here. And I think with every day that they march around the wall, I believe that their confidence is growing. And I'm, ta I'm not talking about self-confidence. I'm talking about a holy confidence that comes from God. There's this God confidence that he is going to deliver them as he promised he would. And I can't prove this biblically. This is just my thought that I think that as they progress through this every day, they're getting a little faster. They pick up the pace on day three and day four, maybe day five, six, seven. They are so fired up at this point because they know the promise of God is coming, that they can't wait as their faith anticipates what it is that God is going to do. And here's the thing. They don't know. They just know that God's going to deliver the city to them. I am spiritually amped right now, church. I mean, personally, this, what I just described here about the Israelites, this is what I'm feeling about trilogy. And I know we're four, and, four years and change in. I know we're almost five years in as a church. But I truly believe in my spirit right now that God is ready to break something loose for us, that we've been laying a foundation, that we've been building uh, people, that we've been, we've been discipling people, that we've been growing in relationship with one another and with him, and something miraculous is about to break loose. And I can't explain that in the natural. I can't point to this and this and this and say, see, everything's lining up. I don't know what it is. Just like the Israelites didn't know what God was going to do. They just knew God had promised them something. And God promised me something when he said, I want you to plant this church. And I believe God promised a lot of you something when he said, hey, hitch your, hit, hitch your wagon to this. Let's go. You're going to join in with what, God, what I'm doing in building this church. And you've come alongside and you're believing that God is going to show up. And I believe he is. And he has. And we've seen life change and we've seen all this stuff. But I truly believe that something is about to happen in a way that God has never done before. Something only he can do that we won't take credit for. So keep praying circles around Jericho with me, will you church? Continue to march, continue to pray, continue to circle your faith around the promise that God will build his church and we're gonna see something miraculous break loose. 
So finally, Joshua 6, 15 and 16. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. By this time, they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Now wait just a moment. In verse 10, we didn't read verse 10, but it, it says that God told them to remain silent. Okay, they're, they're to remain silent as they walk around the city. So they're not saying a word all the way up until this point. They're just walking almost like this ancient mind game. You know, like, yeah, we're going to psych you out. And they're walking around in silence. And I'm guessing that if you've been silent for six or seven days, when you let that scream out, you got some fresh vocal cords. You are ready to go. And when you let that scream out, man, when they had finished the seventh lap, the priest gave a long blast on the trumpets and the people of Israel shouted with a great shout. And this is not a war cry. This is not the shout of an attacking army as they rush in. This wasn't a shout of fear. It was a shout raised in praise to the God who had given them a promise. This was a shout of praise to the God who had delivered them, to a God that was promising them this land, to a God that was going before them, and they shouted in praise to him. And when the people shouted their praises, the walls fell down flat. Israel ran into the city and utterly destroyed it. And according to the book of Numbers, we're talking about 600,000 men here. And this is where I think some of us get stuck in this story. How did it actually happen? I mean, our logical left brain gets involved now. Was it an earthquake maybe that just happened to hit at the right time and caused the walls to fall down? Did God just miraculously level the walls? Or was it maybe the sound waves created by this shout vibrated the walls and caused them to fall? We don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened, but here's what's interesting. Here's what, here's the point where we get all distorted and we start to think and logically try to explain things. Our logic gets in the way of our theologic, if you will. And the issue should never be, can God do miracles? That's never the question to ask. The issue is, did God create the universe? That's the question to ask. Because if God, with four words, said, let there be light, and the entire universe came into existence, then he has created the laws of nature and certainly he can bypass them. He can change the molecular structure of water and turn it into wine. Certainly he can reverse the second law of thermodynamics and take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people. Certainly he can walk on water. The issue is not the miracle. Did God create everything? And if he did, that is the miracle. That's the macro miracle and everything else that follows is a micro miracle because everything is possible from the God who created everything. That's why it is so important that we accept the Bible as God's word. And when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, you need to believe that as truth. I know the world would try to tell us some other way that everything came into existence, but my Bible, the word of God tells me that God created, that he spoke it into existence with the power of his words, and I believe that to be true. And everything else that we believe about the miraculous should flow from that. And by the way, I think sometimes when we are praying, we tend to think in terms of big prayers and small prayers and difficult miracles and easy miracles, so to speak. But to an infinite God, all finites are equal. 
There is no big or small. There is no easy or difficult. He is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is capable of everything. And the issue here is our limited perspective in how he does what he does. So trust an infinite God to solve our finite problems. So the walls come down and here's what I want you to see. How many times do they walk around Jericho? You could do the math one time a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. What do we have? How many? Okay, I heard different numbers. Actually, I can't hear anybody, but that concerns me if there were different numbers spoken. There are 13, 13 trips around Jericho. And I want to suggest that many of us have not experienced the miracle that we are believing God for because most of us stop after the first or second lap. We've stopped. We've given up. And, and I'm going to take it a step further. I think many of us don't even know what our Jericho is. We don't know what we should be believing for. We don't know what we're trusting God for. We don't even know what it is that we're circling. We don't even know what to march around. We don't even know what to circle our faith around. We don't know what we are believing God for. And that's why we never experience the miraculous. In Matthew 20, there's a really interesting story where these two blind men are sitting at the side of the road and they stop Jesus and they say, help us. Okay, and Jesus asked them this question. This is the question Jesus asks two blind men. He says, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, seriously, there's two blind guys sitting on the side of the road, the, the, this great healing teachers walking by and you ask them what they want. Uh, obviously, there's a reason to everything that Jesus does. And I think that Jesus knew that they needed to identify what it is they were believing God to do. You have to identify the miracle. You have to circle it, if you will. And some of you, you need to take time to identify what it is you need God to do for you and circle it and begin to move forward in praying for it. Then once you know what it is you're believing for, you need to keep circling Jericho. The Israelites continued to circle Jericho. They did not stop. They did not give up. They just continued to circle. And I have a word I believe for God, from God from, for some of you today because you have stopped circling. You stopped walking around Jericho. You stopped believing. You stopped praying. You gave up and you said it's never going to happen. And I'm telling you, you need to get your marching orders back on because you need to keep circling and keep believing God for whatever that is that God has promised you, for whatever it is that God has told you to be praying for. Am I saying it's going to happen tomorrow? No, but you need to keep believing. Many of you have heard the story uh, as I, I've told it of my dad, and I know I tell it pretty regularly, but sometimes we have a story that defines us in a pretty significant way. And this is one of those stories for me. And a lot of you know, my, I grew up in an alcoholic home. My dad started drinking uh, in the early 80s. And I was nine or 10 years old when my dad started drinking heavily and, and became a full-blown alcoholic. And I lived with that for 20 years. And during that time, I prayed every day for God to save my dad. I prayed for my dad to stop drinking and for him to give his life to Christ. Every day, I prayed that for my father. And th there were days I got discouraged. There were days I said, this is never going to happen. There were days where I wanted to give up. There were days where I just like, oh, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'll pray anyway. Because my dad's just too stubborn and too prideful and he's not going to surrender. And I just kept praying. I even had tricks to remind me. Anytime I saw a digital clock with all the numbers the same, 111, 222, 333, 888, I would pray. And I would, I would stop and I would pray and just say, God, would you save my dad? God, deliver him from the alcohol. 
Help him to humble himself and surrender himself to you. And I would pray for just a few minutes, but I did it every day for 20 years. Well, the end of my dad's life, he, uh, he had full-on liver failure, was in the hospital. He was in a coma, fully intubated, breathing machines, the whole deal. And he was in the hospital. And I was in the hospital with my dad, knowing that he's going to die imminently. And I'm praying to God, saying, God, why did you not answer my prayer? I circled this. I didn't use those words, but I circled Jericho for 20 years, believing that those walls were going to fall and my dad was going to believe. And he didn't. He's laying there in a coma and I'm just praying for one more chance to talk to him and share my faith with him and tell him my story and just ask him if he wants to repent. And I left the hospital and went home for the night and about 4.30 that morning, our pastor's wife uh, at the time, she was woken up and by the Holy Spirit and she felt like she was supposed to go to the hospital. And she thought, well, it must be time for Larry. He's going to die and I need to go be with the family. And so she went to the hospital, but none of us were there at that point. She walked into the room. My dad's eyes were open. And as she walked across the room, his eyes followed her as she walked across the room. And she walked and she sat down next to him and she says, Larry, it's Elizabeth. Do you know who I am? And he nodded his head. And she said, Larry, I believe the Holy Spirit sent me here to pray with you. Would you like me to pray with you? And he nodded again. And she says, Larry, I believe that God's giving you one more chance to get your heart right with him. Do you want to give your heart to Jesus? And he nodded again. And she sat with him and asked him some questions and he nodded a few times and and she prayed with him. And at the end, you know, she asked him, Larry, did you mean that prayer? And he nodded and he gave his heart to Christ in that hospital room. And he fell back asleep, went back into a coma. And he never woke up again until he was in the presence of Jesus. And she told me that story. And obviously I rejoiced that my dad is in heaven. But I have to admit, there was a part of me that was really frustrated and bitter for a brief moment, maybe more than brief, of why couldn't I live with a saved dad? Why couldn't I enjoy some time with him where he knew Jesus and loved Jesus and wasn't drinking and was the amazing man that I knew he was when he wasn't on alcohol? And then I thought, you know what? Yeah, it's, there's a part of me, the flesh part of me that's frustrated, but more important than maybe those few years that I would have gotten to spend with him here, I get to spend all of eternity with him in God's presence. I get to worship Jesus alongside my dad in heaven. And that means more to me than anything. And then I wonder, why did I have to pray for 20 years to see this happen? Why did it have to work that way? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe the reason I had to pray for 20 years is so I could tell you this story today. Maybe someone here needs to hear that story today and God is going to change the direction of your life and the way you pray and bring you back to praying about something that you've stopped circling your Jericho for whatever that is. And maybe that's why. But whatever it is, that's the way God chose to bring the miracle to me. For that Jericho in my life. Sometimes you need to keep circling. You've just got to hang in there and keep believing and keep marching around Jericho. And I want to close with this. There are some reasons why Israel experienced victory at Jericho and they're very easily repeated in our lives. Some things that we can make note of and put into practice. Here they are. Number one, they had a word from God. They heard from God. And church, you need to hear from God. You need to be in the word. You need to be reading it. And you need to be praying. You need to be hearing from God 
through reading the Bible and through praying and not just talking to God, but spending time listening and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us in that quiet voice inside, that impression that he gives us that God is speaking to us. They had a word from God and you need to hear a word from God. Secondly, they believed God. When God told them something, they believed it, they accepted it and they moved forward with it. So you need to believe what God tells you. If there's a promise in God's word, you better believe that promise and stand on that promise. Because the third thing the Israelites did is they acted in faith. They acted. They took a step. Almost every miracle you see involves somebody taking a step. Somebody moving forward and doing something. You know, when they parted the Red Sea, Moses had to extend his staff. You know, the blind men had to call out to Jesus. There's, there's a step that we have to take in seeing that miracle come to pass. They acted in faith and we need to take action. Next thing is they did it God's way. Man, that's hard because sometimes we see the path, right? We know what we're supposed to do, what we should do, the way that makes sense. But God's way may seem too hard, too slow, or as in this case around Jericho, too foolish. But God's way is the best way. Why? Because that's the way in which he's working. And I want to be involved in the way that God's working, not the way that makes sense to me. So they did it God's way. And finally, God gave them the victory. God gave them the victory. God's church will win. God's people will win. You can experience victory in whatever situation that you're facing right now. Whatever personal Jericho you're up against, whatever corporate Jericho as a church we're up against, we will experience victory. We need to take a lesson from Israel because God has promised us victory. What Jericho are you facing right now? Does it appear to be unbeatable? Do the walls look too high? Do they appear too thick? I want to remind you that if your walls haven't already fallen down flat, they can and they will. They can fall right now. What is it that you are circling with your prayers? What is it that you're praying circles around? Because he is still a miracle working God. He's greater than any obstacle. He's able to move any mountain. He's stronger than any barrier that you can face today. And we need to bring it to him and watch him work it out for his glory. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today that you are a miracle working God. That you are a God who sees things through to completion. That you want to see the miraculous done in our lives. That you want to see the miraculous worked through us into other people's lives. And I pray that you would give us the perspective that Joshua and the people of Israel had. That God, we will keep circling. We will keep marching. We will shout your praise until we see the answer. God, I pray that you would help us to get a word from you. God, let us believe that word when it comes. Let us act in faith and let us step out in your path that you're leading us down to see the victory come in our lives. God, as we do this, As we live in faith and as we continue to circle, God, I pray that we will see miracle after miracle after miracle, that wall after wall will fall in the lives of people. God, we thank you for what you're about to do and what you're doing every single day in our lives. We love you. We follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.